Nation Log Live back again on a Tuesday night to field your comments and questions about Star Trek Discovery. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. This week, you and John and I are going to dig into Episode 5 of Discovery on Episode 4 of Mission Log Live. Of course, the Discovery show. Choose your pain. And you can choose how to contact us. You can click on the link in the comments to join the Zoom video call, or you can call 646-558-8656 and enter the conference number 858-510-580. That also will show up in the comments on screen. Now, those links change for each episode we do, so be sure to check back each week for the right one. You can also email us missionlog at roddenberry.com. And thank you to everyone who's been watching and listening with us over the past few weeks. Remember, there are a lot of ways to pick up Mission Log Live. Of course, you can pick it up live here on Facebook or on YouTube. Uh, the Roddenberry Prod is always waiting for you over on YouTube, youtube.com slash Roddenberry Prod. Is that correct, sir? Yeah, that is correct. YouTube.com right, cool. slash Roddenberry Prod. You know, get your <laughs> Roddenberry Prod today. <laughs> Ask for it by name. Uh, of course, you can also catch the audio-only version of this. We're putting up the audio of the show um, usually just a few hours after the show. So Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, you should be able to find Mission Log Live. Uh, look for it in iTunes. I have a feeling it's turning up in other podcatchers as well. Uh, but you can, of course, go to our website also, uh, missionlogpodcast.com. If you want to grab the latest version or hear the latest version. And, of course, you can visit facebook.com slash missionlogpod. Or again, youtube.com slash Roddenberry prod uh, to catch the video uh, at a later time. Yeah. So, again, thank you to everyone who is watching now. And thank you to those who are watching or listening after the live broadcast. The comments are already coming in. So uh, glad to say hi to Heather Rouse. Uh, hello to Todd Shoemaker. Uh, Debbie, Debbie says, see you in the morning. So I guess we lost Debbie now, but thanks for chiming in. <laughs> so Debbie, we'll see you later. Um, oh, it looks like uh, Eugene is watching. I hmm. yeah, yeah, I don't know any Eugene. Yeah, I do know right. Eugene, some kid I went to high school with. But really, okay, probably can't imagine Eugene. he's watching. Yeah, yeah. maybe. But uh, remember, guys, this show is all about you. So Ken and I will have our notes in a moment, uh, but really this is the time that we like to turn the microphones over to you. So please get ready with your questions and comments. Join the Zoom call or join us by phone. Our uh, lovely and talented technical director will patch you in and then uh, we'll get to chat about Discovery, what we thought of the latest episode live here on our show. So uh, remember, you can click that link in the comments to join the Zoom call, or you can give us a phone call at 646-558-8656 and enter that conference number. And um, I guess, you know, Ken, with that said, maybe you should recap us all on the story of Choose Your Pain. I, I, I just chose your pain for you. How's that? Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yes, it's, a, it's like a choose your own adventure, but very different. All right, here's the recap. Michael Burnham is worried about the tardigrade. With every jump it navigates, it seems to be getting weaker. Well, maybe it'll have less navigating to do. In the last three weeks, Discovery has knocked the Klingons back on their heels, and that may have attracted notice. Now Starfleet wants Captain Lorca to tone it down, lest the Klingons learn of the spore drive, the Federation's secret weapon. On his way back to Discovery from his tone-it-down meeting with Starfleet, Lorca is captured by Klingons. Starfleet thinks that this was a targeted capture, but the Klingons are after the secrets of Discovery. Now it's acting Captain Saru's job to go after him. They'll be making multiple jumps, which doesn't sit well with Burnham, 
seriously, this could kill the tardigrade, but Saru is on a mission and he won't be stopped. In captivity, Lorca meets Harcourt Fenton Mudd, a man of questionable antecedents, and Ash Tyler, a captive of the Klingons since the Battle of the Binary Stars. They're being held by a member of the same house from which Vox's second, Laurel Hales, a house of deceivers and spies. The Klingons make the prisoners choose who gets beaten, their way of keeping prisoners from bonding. We also learn of Lorca's recent past. His last command before the discovery was the USS Buran. It was captured by the Klingons. Lorca made his escape, then blew ship and crew, his own ship and crew, out of the sky. They were going to be tortured by the enemy, and he was going to keep that from happening. Also, Harry Mudd's been feeding intel on his fellow prisoners to the Klingons. So it's a cell full of just great people. Eventually, Lorca and Tyler escape their cell, leaving Harry Mudd screaming that they have not seen the last of him. On Discovery, Burnham was right. Getting near the ship, holding Lorca, they finally hit one jump too many. The tardigrade goes into a sort of stasis. Saru doesn't care what they have to do. Get it ready. Once we save the captain, we'll need to jump. Once the captain is saved, Stamets says they can make the jump, and they do. But it wasn't the tardigrade that navigated the jump. It was Stamets, thanks to a radical experiment. Good news, he survived. Burnham and Saru bond. Saru's not afraid of Burnham. He's angry. He never got to learn from Georgiou the way she did. But Burnham says Georgiou would have been proud of the way Saru handled himself retrieving Lorca. Also, Burnham gives Saru Georgiou's telescope. In return, he gives her a task, freeing the tardigrade. Once free, it wakes up and zips away. Stamets and Culber have a tender good night as they head to bed. Stamets' reflection sort of lingers in the mirror before wandering away itself. I probably left some stuff out there, but I think those are the big points, John. I think those are the big points. Well done, Ken. Uh, Thanks. Well done for a long, complex episode. Uh, And I don't mean long like, you know, overseed is welcome. I just mean it was complex. Um, Yeah. Can can I jump to the end really quickly, though, with a note? Um, (laughs) All right. Starfleet Pajamas. Um, I I like the idea of Starfleet pajamas. I would like some Starfleet pajamas. I do not want a metal insignia on my Starfleet pajamas. See, I love how you say that as if you don't have Starfleet pajamas. I I was trying to maybe keep something of my personal (laughs) life to myself, but um, that was just a guess on my part, by the way. I don't know for certain that you have Starfleet pajamas, although I think you just admitted it. Yeah, it was a good guess. But, yeah. you know, look, I, I love the branding on Discovery, but sometimes there's a little too much branding is all I'm mm. going to say, you know, the, the little metal thing. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's like, I think, uh, probably like four deltas to every one person right. on Discovery. <laughs> right. right. Which is fine. I mean, it's, as you say, branding is key. Branding is key. For example, um, it's only in the preview for next week. We're not going to talk about next week's episode because we know nothing except how long did they spend saying we're not going to call Star Trek Discovery Disco. Who, by the way, has been calling it disco the whole time? Uh, show of hands, show of hands. Oh, that would be me. Mm-hmm. What, what is she doing in a disco shirt next week? Like a literal shirt that just says disco across the front. <laughs> well, look, I, I, I like to think that disco has made it well into the 23rd century. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty happy about that. I'm um, see Saru walking around with like a doo-wop shirt as well. Right. Because everybody's got their own style of music that they're walking around advertising in yep. the 23rd century. By the way, our uh, our viewer Samuel uh, corrected me. It's space pajamas. 
So wanted to make sure that we got that right. And yeah. um, and by the way, somebody also pointed out that you can get those. Uh, there's a lot of talk about space toothbrushes and uh, how you can get those at uh, Sephora, I believe, for 99 bucks. Um, really? Yeah. So do we have a bell we can ring? Because I'm just going to call that a new sponsorship opportunity for us. That's not a bad one. I didn't realize uh, Sephora had them. No, it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, glad. Oh, and uh, oh, oh, Bruce. Bruce says death before disco. But no, look, I, uh, I have to disagree. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that disco has no. a, a long life. Yeah. Death, death before disco totally ruins your time at the disco. It does. It really I'm does. Saying, yeah, yeah. Save that till later because, you know, I want to be where the people dance. <laughs> uh, oh, and Brian says Lorca would support uh, Lorca would sport a dubstep shirt. So, <laughs> I, sure, I'm good with that. Why not? Yeah, I'm that's a fun idea. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk about some story elements here, and then I want to keep hearing from uh, from our listeners here really quickly uh, before we go to our first caller, uh, Lorca. Do we buy the story about killing off his crew on the old ship? On his old ship, I mean. What do you mean, do we buy the story? Well, here's the thing. So he, he throws that story out there about how uh, he escaped and he, he basically killed the rest of his crew on his old ship so they would not be captured by Klingons, so they would not suffer the indignity of being Klingon prisoners and either tortured or whatever he believed would happen to them. That, that, that would be a fate worse than death, right? <sighs> Yeah. I don't know if I feel like that story holds water. I, okay. Why? Because, I mean, we're being told on the screen that that is what happened. Mud yeah. knew that story. Well, knew most of that story. He knew that Lorca was the only one that escaped. Why is Lorca going to tell that story if it's not true? We also find out that it was not actually the Battle of the Binary Star that hurt his eyesight, but it was letting go of the... Baran, is that what it's called? I'm, yeah, I, I, think I have so. a hard time yeah. remembering. Yeah, but it was that. It was that. You know what he did, uh, destroying the Baran, that actually uh, wrecked his eyesight, and he keeps that as a reminder. See, yep. here's the thing: Are we going to talk about Ash Tyler yet, or are we not? Because I think your question ties in perfectly with that. Okay, so uh, right. let's talk about Ash. Well, should we talk about Ash, or should we take our call first? All right, let's because take our I don't, call first. I don't want to leave. Uh, I don't want to leave him uh, waiting. By the way, uh, the way to get in touch with us is right there on the screen as you're watching this. And if you're listening to this, saying, "Well, I got no screen," I say, "Well, that's because you didn't join us live on Tuesday night. Don't forget, uh, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. That's how you can join us live, and we would absolutely love it if you did. In the meantime, uh, is it Gnome? Do we have Gnome on the line with us? Gnome. Norm. 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 I don't Norm. have my glasses on. Norm. Noam. 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 Okay. Cool. I don't have my hearing aids in either. I apologize. <laughs> I, I, I'm using from Starbucks. That's okay. Uh, so first of all, I want to thank you for having me on. I've been listening to your podcast for a while and I've been really enjoying. So I'm glad I have a chance to tell you that. And I also wow. really enjoyed this episode. All right. Well, that is very kind of you. Thank you. So, uh, yeah. T- tell us what you thought of the episode and uh, what your what your questions or comments are. Well, first of all, uh, so far I've been really I've been enjoying the show. I, I like it as a show, a sci-fi show. But I've been trying to decide for myself: is this stuff? And I think this is the first episode where I decided: yes, this is what Star Trek looks like in in the modern day uh, TV in a TV era. Interesting. Can you tell me what it was that made that made this episode the episode that turned this into Star Trek for you? Well, I think mostly the 
uh, the whole plot language that tardigrade and how they're discussing sort of the moral di- uh, dilemma they have of trying to decide whether it's sentient and ca- how can we deal with it and the way that, and the depth of there. And mm-hmm. also, I think as a bonus, this is probably the first time I actually enjoyed the character of Harry Mudd. <laughs> All right. I, I think we'll have to talk about Harry Mudd for sure. Um, <laughs> it, it enjoyed him. <laughs> I, it, well, it enjoyed him. Why? Because we, we've been told on Mission Log that Harry Mudd and the, the two, well, three, if you include the animated series, that Harry Mudd is just a character that we should enjoy. It's fun. It's light comedy. And Ken and I took exception to that. So why, why, why do you say that you enjoyed this Harry Mudd for the first time? Well, the, the thing is, so far, yeah, it's been so presented as comedy. And both, I think both the show and the fans took it as comedy. But I think for me, it's not like, I don't, th- I don't think so. Human bondage is particularly funny, or <laughs> right. You know, so having and and for whatever reason, Harry Mudd was always very associated with misogyny. So that's just uh, ruined his character. Even though he was, you know, outrageously played. I don't remember what was the original actor uh, who played who played him, but he he, he it was sort of an, an outrageous character and. I just couldn't disconnect myself from the context, uh, especially the first episode where the message seems to be: don't just look for a wife that's pretty; look for one that that, that also can kick, can cook, and clean for you. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look. I, here's the thing: I, I know that Mud was played as comedy, and and there is something in Rain Wilson's portrayal that is. Uh, sort of like a, a devious kind of humor, but here's the thing. He's playing what Harry Mudd is, and, and that is an amoral opportunist. Um, and I think they've absolutely nailed that in this portrayal of Harry Mudd. So I'm really glad with the direction they took on that. Um, I, I can see, you know, look, this is a TV show being made 50 years after uh, we introduced that character in TOS, but I can see sort of a, a straight line between those two portrayals. They're, they're not, um, they're not coming from different places for me. This is the kind of guy who would end up in a, uh, in a business like, Oh, trafficking women as we, uh, as we saw in TOS. So I absolutely buy it. I absolutely buy this character. Yeah. Uh- I do too, and I think it does. For the first time, we actually get the sense of just how depraved this person really is, and how 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 really lacking of a moral center, and how that's even though it can be played for comedy and for dark comedy sometimes, that's not in itself doesn't make him a, a lovable role as he was presented so far. Yeah, here, here. Well, uh, anything else for us now? We'll, we'll, we'll jump to our uh, next caller, but it was very nice to hear from you. Well, thank you. I do have a question. I don't know if you have time to address it, but I've been trying to decide, is there anything so far that would, would tell us why this was made as a prequel? Because I think pretty much the entire plot, with some minor adjustments, could have been placed in the 24th to 25th century. It could also have taken care of the continuity problem. So I don't know if you can... You have an idea. I'd be willing to guess. I mean, I can't say for certain, but I'd be I'd be willing to guess. Um, prequels work. 
Uh, people people seem to love i mean remaking like uh, remaking a television show that is not even just a straight remake or i mean like go to the movies it's been what the starsky and hutch 21 jump street 22 jump street um uh, starsky and hutch i know was a very long time ago now but there's this constant need it seems to 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 hearken back um and maybe an unwillingness to sort of uh, to sort of forge a new story instead we'll go back and tell We'll go back and you know, sort of fill in these gaps. And I don't know if that's because writers sort of have lived with these ideas for such a long time, or if it's because CBS doesn't want to risk, um, you know, taking someplace, uh, taking people someplace that they've never been before. I mean, remember what a hard time people had with Next Gen. I mean, for a lot of us now, Picard is our captain, and that's our ship, and that's our crew. But a lot of people really hated that you know, when it first started and with as much as CBS has writing on this, like trying to launch CBS all access and trying to launch a whole new series, it would be, it would be difficult. It's easier to play on nostalgia, I think. And and that's just a guess on my part. I don't, I don't know anybody at CBS. I don't know anybody involved in writing it. Um, My guess is, I mean, I personally, I'm with you. I'd rather see us move forward into some new idea because just continuing to fill in the gaps is just continuing to tell the same story from a different angle over and over again. Um, I'd like to see us move forward, especially where Star Trek has always been about sort of an aspirational future. And we're not going to get an aspirational future if we keep going back to, okay, well, let's tell about the 15 minutes between that episode and this episode. Um which is not a complaint. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm engaged in the show. It's a good show. Um, but my guess is it's easier to make money on nostalgia than it is new ideas. Uh, we got an interesting email from uh, someone who echoed a thought that uh, I know that I've probably not discussed on the show, but I know I've discussed with um, some of our listeners before, probably at a convention or two. Um and I, I forget who wrote this in, but I, I wrote back agreeing with the premise that um, the further out in the future you get. So we're, we're at the end of the 24th century by the time we get through next gen and deep space nine and Voyager. Um, and then we're into the 25th century. And then how much farther ahead do you go? And if you do, does it start to feel a little detached and a little magical? You know, we, we have to make certain sort of technological jumps between the 23rd and the 24th century, where in the 24th century, well, the holodecks are are indistinguishable from real life, um, except for when they're on the fritz and they're always on the fritz. Um, <laughs> and then take that another 100 years and uh, medical technology and transportation technology and uh, anything that humans touch sort of starts to take on that that air of magic where uh, do we do we stop having sort of a human believable connection to the action that's going on there you know when they originally pitched enterprise back in 2001 i think 2000 2001 um brannon and rick always said we want this to be the right stuff of star trek and I thought, yeah, I can, I, I can sort of get behind that. Like th- these are people getting their hands dirty with, with building this future, and and that was something that I felt like I could relate to. There's another thing that I feel like if you kept going with the 24th and then into the 25th century, um, that uh, that I just think stylistically there would have to be a big rewrite of that as well. So when I look at next gen 
Deep Space Nine Voyager, I'm looking at a show that I feel like I can't separate from the 80s and into the 90s and essentially the end of the 90s. The design language of those shows looks like the 80s and the 90s to me. So even if they did create something new that was going into the, the, the timeline past Voyager, to me, honestly, I think that would look more dated than doing something that takes sort of the, the retro charm of TOS and pumps that up with its own new design language, as they're doing on Discovery, you know, working in things that are from the 60s, but also design elements from Enterprise and sort of doing this mishmash. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad they chose the time that they did. And, and actually, I would even say that if I were to pick another time, I would pick the time between the movies and Next Gen. I think that's a big 80-year gap that is ripe for exploration. Okay. Well, thank you. Hey, thank you, man. I really appreciate you joining us. And we have another caller. We have Liam. Liam, are you there, sir? It might take a moment to get Liam back on. So you, well, well hold on. Okay. I don't know. Where were we? <laughs> do you want to go to where we were? Or do you want to go to Liam first? Well, I guess we do have Liam on we have now. Liam? So we should right go on. ahead and do that. Yeah. How's it going, Liam? It's great. How are you guys? Doing okay. What's on your mind tonight? Well, to add to Gnome's point earlier, one of the things I think, well, two things that I think made this feel a little more like Star Trek is we see Starfleet pushing back against Lorca's tactics a little bit. They feel more like the Starfleet we're used to. And the other one is that the cast feels like they've had time to become more of an ensemble. Some of them actually get along with each other now. It didn't feel to me, though, like they were pushing against Lorca's, act, uh, Lorca's, um, Lorca's tactics. It was more they were afraid of Lorca being discovered or found out. Pardon my use of the term discovered. But their concern was that <laughs> the Klingons were picking up on the fact that discovery was their secret weapon. And so he, they actually asked him to dial it back a bit. Yeah. So that, I mean, it's sort of like when we figured out in World War II, right? We actually figured out the secret of the Enigma machine but then we didn't always act on everything that we learned from intercepting those codes because if we acted on everything that we learned from intercepting those codes, then the Axis would know that the Allies were able to read their codes. So we sometimes let bad things happen so that you know they wouldn't know that we knew their secret so that we could go ahead and continue to get a leg up. That's sort of what they're doing with Discovery, it seems, is just saying, hey, can you, can you dial it back a bit? Because otherwise the Klingons are going to know about the secret thing that we have, and that's going to be worse in the long run. That's a good point, in addition to the fact that at that point they only had the one tardigrade and didn't know where to get more of them. Right, right, exactly. And the only, but, the only one spore drive as well, because, uh, of course, they lost the Glenn uh, last week or two weeks ago. I can't remember which. Yeah, and probably only one engineer who really knows, or scientist, whatever he is, who knows how it all works in Stamets. Yeah, but the thing where I saw the biggest pushback was in his hiring of Burnham, really. Mm. They, they questioned that a lot, mostly for optics sake, which I, I don't know if that matters outside of the Discovery's crew, because it's probably kept secret from the rest of the fleet. But um, they seem to have some concerns with the way he runs his ship. Uh, yeah, meaning that, the, yeah, the, the rest of the crew have concerns about the way that uh, Lorca is running, uh, running his ship. Or Starfleet. Yeah. Or, Starfleet. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I mean, I, I feel like from the beginning, you know, I, I always looked at this uh, 
sort of examination of command style as something that is diametrically opposed to what we saw with uh, Captain Giorgio and and really liked it. Um, not because Lorca is necessarily likable in what he's doing, but I think he's being very uh, strategic. He's very tactical in what he's doing. He is um, he, he's using this method of sort of keeping his crew on their toes and uh, pitting them against each other, maybe where it, it, it suits him. So um, I, I think there's more to be learned about how Lorca and why Lorca is doing this. I'm, I'm curious myself to see how, how that plays out. I, I think I the jury's still out. Is he a, is he a good Starfleet captain or is he a bad Starfleet captain and say the mold of like a, a Jellicoe who got the job done, not the most likable guy in the world. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And now uh, you said something interesting about seeing this crew become more of a uh, more of an ensemble. And um, I feel like, you know, we're we're talking about the fifth episode, but we're only three episodes really into Discovery. The first two episodes were the prologue that was the backstory of Michael Burnham on the Shenju. That's true. Which was a fascinating story, but that just lays the groundwork for getting her to discovery. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think because this show is taking this long form view of Star Trek, that that's something we're going to see constantly change over the next, well, we've got 10 more episodes to go after this one before the end of this season. I think we're going to keep seeing that crew form and gel over that time. Mm-hmm. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, man, no kidding. And that Klingon fight looked like a video game. (laughs) (laughs) You mean that a good way or a bad way? (laughs) Well, it was an exciting way for me. I like that kind of game, but... (laughs) You mean mean when Lorca and Tyler were getting out of the the cell? Exactly, and they're they're shooting Klingons with whatever weapons they had, and it looked like they were exploding or something. Yeah, Klingon disruptors, no joke, right? That was like that was pretty hardcore. Because you remember when yeah. um, when uh, when Burnham shot uh, Tuvok, not Tuvok, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> when Burnham shot Takuvma, um, it put like a hole through him. But yeah, when they were shooting the Klingons with the disruptors, the Klingon disruptors, they were just they were just like they were vapor. And is their blood green, or is that an effect of the weapon? I can't even tell. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. an effect of the weapon, but. Um... Yeah, I thought so, too. Because yeah. remember, Klingons have purple blood in uh, Star Trek VI. So. And only in Star Trek VI. Yeah, there's right. No telling, dude. There's no, there's no, there's no telling what, what color that blood is now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Liam, anything else? or uh... No, other than to uh, ask if anyone on the show had so far mentioned, I mean, on your show, had so far mentioned that the textured parts of their uniforms are a sea of deltas. Oh, you mean on, on the sides of the uh, the yeah. Discovery uniforms? Yeah, you know, we, we haven't mentioned it. Uh, there's some really good reference materials out there showing those uniforms where you can see the, the Delta pattern in them. Um, I, I thought that was pretty cool. You know, to me, what I like about those uniforms is that they kind of reference um, Admiral Kirk's uniform from the motion picture, which I know yes. Ken, Ken hates, and I love it. <laughs> I think it's awesome. Um, but the way you had the, the kind of off-white with the gray cut-ins on that, which is kind of the same shape 
that we have on the discovery uniforms. And to me, when I look at um, when I look at all the design work on discovery, because it's a super advanced ship, I think about this is stuff that's happening somewhere else by another department in Starfleet and Starfleet is constantly developing new and different technologies. So you've got sort of that TOS design language that we all know and love happening way over there somewhere. And then you've got this other stuff that's being developed by Starfleet that's happening somewhere else at the same time. And that's how you can have these two very disparate looks happening within 10 years of each other. You know, yes. as far as the, the timeline of the show goes, but that influence, that design influence, I can say, oh, OK, well, I see that again in the motion picture where maybe they kept a little bit of that, uh, a little bit of that style um, when they got to that point and put everybody in pajamas because, hey, it's more comfortable. When <laughs> the you're doctor's in uniform really space. showed yeah. Oh, man. And if you've got a lead on that, I want one. OK, so just just get one of those for me. Okay. I'll let you know. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Nice talking to you, Liam. Thank yeah, you. And fun. call us again. All right. Will do. Cool. So we've got Nathaniel coming up in just a moment, but we should probably do some business first, shouldn't we, Mr. Champion? I think we should. Nathaniel, if you'll hold on, then, uh, yeah, we'll we'll do business. I'm good with yeah. business. Yeah, we got some business to do. Our friends at Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. This is like so cool to me. And I know I've talked every week about how cool it is to me, but I'm amazed that this show, well, it shows now five weeks old. So I guess it, it's about time that we had toys. These aren't just toys, though. They're uh, they're they're fantastic replicas of, uh, of, well, going to be some of the ships. You can actually start off uh, with the Shenzhou uh, with a crazy deal. Uh, but but John, you've got more details on how these whole these all these things are put together, right? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, it, they're not just toys. <laughs> these are right. incredibly detailed, hand painted models um, under the the tutelage of Ben Robinson, noted Star Trek expert, officially licensed by CBS. So the Star Trek Discovery Starships collection from our friends at Eagle Moss. Um, you know, the first thing to notice is that they are larger ships. They're larger than the uh, the normal subscription model that they do. And uh, you can start out your collection with the nearly 8-inch long USS Shinzu NCC-1227 um, for only $9.95 with free shipping. Now, this is the pre-order period, so you're hearing this live um, here as we are in the early stages of Star Trek Discovery. But by ordering now, you could actually reserve your model, which will be shipping on or before January 31st, 2018. These will be in very limited numbers, and uh, you will see more and more ships from Star Trek Discovery, starting with the Shinju. But uh, yeah, you can imagine they've already released some artwork for the USS Discovery as well. Um, but now is the time. Now is the time to lock in your subscription and get the Shinju at the very low price of $9.95, again, with free shipping. And then each model that comes after that to you will come to you uh, at a 20% discount. Uh, so as long as you stay subscribed, uh, you're getting a really good deal on the ships that come in the Discovery Starships collection in the future. Uh, you're not locked in. You can cancel anytime you want to. But of course, if you cancel, then you lose all kinds of Discovery Starships that could be sailing your way. Uh, for details on the entire collection and to reserve your place among the first to subscribe, visit EagleMoss.com slash Discovery Starships. 
That address again is eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. And we do thank the good people at Eagle Moss uh, for, for, for sponsoring Mission Log Live. It's nice of them to do, isn't it, John? It is. It's very nice yeah. of them. And they make a cool product, which is why they, I like talking about them. They do. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're crazy good. Um, they're crazy good ships. All right. Yeah. So we have to get to the thing about Ash Tyler. And okay. we also have to, we also have to get to, um, they dropped a bomb on me in this episode, John. They, they dropped did. a bomb oh, on me. They yeah. dropped a bomb on me. Yeah. <laughs> we have to talk about that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we also, but before we do that, we have to talk about what uh, Nathaniel uh, wants to talk about. Nathaniel, are you there, sir? Hi. There hey, he how's is. it going? Um, I'll censor myself here, but let me say it's so bleeping cool to be on the podcast. <laughs> it, you know, it is bleeping cool, isn't it, Nathaniel? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. we talked about we actually, we actually talked about starting the show that way, and then realized well, said we weren't going to stay bleeping. We just weren't going to bleep it because we figured, hey, we'd be all twenty third century. Mm-hmm. What's yeah, on your mind? I wasn't sure show? exactly what what you uh, thought your uh, audience was on that particular matter, so I took the safe route. Yeah. Well, I hey, what, what what is your uh, bleeping thought on it, Nathaniel? <laughs> Um, well, I, um, I, uh, I, uh, I enjoyed it, but I'd also felt a little bit like we're doing this because we're streaming, mm. mm-hmm. but I thought it felt pretty natural nonetheless. Okay. okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. yeah, Ken, you, you and I have some thoughts on it. Should, should we share our thoughts now, now that we have Nathaniel on the phone and, and he brought up the, uh, the whole bleeping thing. Sure. Um, I don't see the point in it personally. I mean, it's uh, you say, Nathaniel, that it felt fairly natural to you. And I it, yeah, kind of I mean, on second watch, it felt more natural to me than it did the first time I saw it. But I don't know if that's because I knew it was coming the second time I watched it. Um, I curse like a sailor when I'm not on mic. I mean, I do stop by the booth sometime at Star Trek Las Vegas or any Star Trek convention where you see me and, and I will be saying things. Uh, that would make my mother ashamed. Um, but I'm not trying to be aspirational for everybody. I'm not trying to be a vision of the future. And maybe that's not Star Trek's job, or maybe that's not this Star Trek shot job. I don't know. But it really did feel to me like, um, it felt to me like, um, yeah, I mean, like you say, it felt to me like it, we're streaming, so we don't have to be held by this. Had Had she said that, and had Stamets, you know, sort of given her like a mildly disapproving look that actually felt like it might've been more in character for him. And it might've sent that way you can get away with saying it, but then also say, should we really be? Because now we've sort of opened the door where you can just, you know, do whatever you want and say whatever you want. And that's fine because, you know, it's, it's 2017 and it is streaming. They're not beholden to the FCC. They don't have to worry about affiliates. <sighs> but it, it it didn't feel necessary. It didn't feel like it added anything. And, and I personally wish they hadn't that said, uh, stop by some other time and I'll curse with the best of them. <laughs> what about you, John? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We're, we're getting uh, comments on Facebook. Uh, Penny says it was a bit startling for me though. I felt like it was fine. As long as they don't get goofy with it, it's fine. Um, and Aaron Harvey says uh, it made sense to come from Tilly and she knew it was a faux pas and apologized, but it also wasn't necessary. Yeah. Look, I, I obviously Ken, you and I talked 
off mic a lot, and <laughs> you know that uh, we both will will drop a a colorful metaphor here and there. I have no problem with using language. Um, and I guess if you're going to put that into some character's mouth, well, Tilly, we've already established is kind of awkward and just sort of says things at random. And that's one of the things that makes her endearing. Mm-hmm. My problem was I felt like it wasn't really earned. So if you're going to do something like that, and you're going to drop sort of a dramatic moment by using a colorful metaphor like this, I feel like you kind of have to earn it. We got data using a different curse word while crashing the enterprise in generations. But data had the emotion chip. Data is the sort of running at all different levels at that point. And it's a dramatic moment. So I feel like you sort of earned that. Um, we had Admiral Marcus using a colorful metaphor in... Um, Which in, was fantastic. Uh, into Darkness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it worked because it fit that character. Um, yeah. So I, I'm not... I'm not offended that they used it. I'm offended that they, I I felt, didn't earn the use of it. I I think I would have been okay if it had worked its way in in some other context. Um, And yet, Nathaniel, I agree with you. Um, I feel like, you know, this isn't isn't that big of a deal. It isn't the, the end of the world, but they are sort of distinguishing themselves by saying, look, we're on streaming. We're not held by our FCC rules of being on at eight o'clock on a Friday night on broadcast. So look what we can do. And that feels a little cheap if, if that's part of the deciding factor going into that. Um, would that's I believe? Part- Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that I don't think that's actually what Nathaniel called to talk that called in to talk about that. Was it? Or is it? No, not, not, not entirely. So Nathaniel, you have other thoughts. <laughs> um, I did have another uh, thought in mind and that is I am terrified of uh, Klingon intelligence because they knew exactly where where his shuttle was going to be. They picked him up. They already knew everything about him, and yet they were still trying to get some stuff out of him. I'm I'm wondering like what kind of agents do they have in Starfleet? Do they have people altered to look like um, humans? Do they have uh, virus um, sufferers that they've enlisted um, to be um, agents? Um, you know, I'm I'm a little worried. Honestly, they seem to know a lot. Okay, now he just brought back up the thing that we were talking about earlier. Oh, uh, you know what? And, and and wait a minute, wait a minute. Nathaniel, was it you who uh, dropped a note in our chat a little earlier? Um, there was somebody who mentioned Arnie Darvin. and uh, someone else. Okay, that was somebody else. Oh, oh no, it, it was uh, Nicholas who says, I know I'm not the inventor of this theory, but I think Lieutenant Ash Tyler is a Klingon in disguise. Maybe Vok, what do you guys think? What do you think, yeah. Nathaniel? Um, I mean, uh, I'll, I'm not sure what I think. I, I, uh, I will be honest and say that the way they played it in this episode, I want to like him so much. I want him to be good. I just do. I kind of already like the character, but I think story-wise, I think it's definitely likely. And he may not be Klingon, but he, it's quite possible he's been conscripted. I mean, he had a special relationship with the captain. Hmm. Interesting. Ken, you have thoughts. <sighs> I th- I I think I think it might be rushed, but I think he's going to end up being Vok. I've actually been talking to a couple of friends over the past week. Uh, first of all, we left Vok on the Shenzo for the past few weeks, so he's had a lot of time to learn. Also, Lorel has said repeatedly 
that she is from a house of deceivers. The woman who actually had Lorca captured today was obviously from the same house because she wears the same colors, the same outfit that Laurel does. And she said she was from a house of spies. Um, I feel like it would be, I feel like three weeks. I mean, that would be the most intensive, like, you know, <laughs> learning course ever for Vok to be able to speak in terms of like, uh, like, uh, idioms uh, used by Lorca and others. But yeah, I feel like he's, I, I, I feel like based on nothing but a little IMDB sleuthing and just thinking about it. Cause the one thing I'll tell you, honestly, the thing that made me think of it, it was last week when um, Laurel told uh, Vok at the end of the episode that if he's going to win this war, he's going to have to give up everything. Well, he's lost his ship. He's lost his crew. He's lost his messiah. He has no name. He has no house. The only thing he has left to give up is himself. The only thing he has left to give up is his being Klingon. And so he, at some point, is going to be some sort of human something or other. And then all of a sudden, we're on a Klingon ship with somebody from the same house. Then here comes this human guy that we've never heard of before, but apparently he's going to be our guy. I feel like three weeks is too short for that to be evoked, but I feel like that's what's happening. And that's totally a guess. I know nothing. I, I don't know if I've said enough. I know nothing about anything that's going to be happening on this show, except that it's going to go 15 episodes. That's all I know about Discovery. Um, but I feel like that's, and I've also heard people talking about that idea over the past week or so. So, yeah, I think that's it. And I think John. Yeah, that would be unfortunate. Um, for him, because he doesn't get to remain Klingon, which is what he believes in. Yeah, that's a tough call, right? I mean, we talk about that on Mission Log all the time. When Starfleet gives up Starfleet's principles to defend Starfleet, what are they defending exactly? So if he's going to give up being Klingon to defend being Klingon, what is he at that point? But I mean, that I mean, honestly, that opens up some really interesting character that opens up the possibility for some really interesting character stuff. I mean, is, is Vok or whatever Klingon Ash Tyler may or may not be. I mean, is he going to begin to question himself at some point? Like, you know, I think I'm doing what I'm doing is right, but what am I now? I mean, it, certainly it's going to give us that kind of thing to chew on, assuming this is all true, which we don't know if it's true or not, but assuming that this all ends up being the case that could open it up for some really, uh, some really interesting, uh, some really interesting character study. I agree. Thank you very much, sir. I don't know if John's actually yeah. able to hear yeah, us. Here I am. Here I am. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, one, one of our listeners says that uh, I think Vok is the albino from DS9. So, um, oh, and, and by the way, somebody else says, can somebody please post the Sonic toothbrush link? So let's, let's also make sure we get that. In. <laughs> um, yeah, look, Ken, you know, before the show, I, I said that uh, I'm the one who, while watching Westworld uh, pretty early on, thought that the man in the black hat was also the, uh, the hey, younger character. Hey, no character. spoilers, dude. Spoiler, spoiler uh, alert, at least. I mean, I've seen it, but some yeah, people. All right. Go, go watch Westworld. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Go watch Westworld. But um, I didn't pick it up. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I know nothing and I'm interested to see what happens. All right. Yeah. We've got, I, don't, I didn't know for certain that it was, like I say, I don't know, didn't know, don't know that it's Ash Tyler. It just like, it, it just seems like it would actually be the next logical thing. 
Um, but yeah, once she said that he would have to give up everything, I mean, that's all he's got to give up at this point. Hey, uh, really quickly, before we go to our next, uh, before we go to our next caller, I want to remind you of something that you can do when we're done here. Uh, our good friends at Priority One, another podcast on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Uh, they're actually recording their show every Tuesday night as well. Uh, so right after we finish, usually around 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, uh, they pick up and they do all kinds of Star Trek news. They also do a little bit of discovery talk as well. Um, you know, movie news, if there is movie news, TV news, certainly games, uh, books, all kinds of different things they talk about there. Uh, they're a fun crew of people and they would love to have you join them live just like we love having you join us live. Uh, so look for their show. It is facebook.com slash priority one podcast is the place to join them live. Facebook.com slash priority one podcast. And, uh, you know, tell them we said, Hey, won't you please? All right. So do we have our next caller available for us? I believe that would be Aaron. Are you out of your Vulcan mind, Harvey? Yes, I'm here. <laughs> there he is. Hey, Aaron, how's it going? It's going well. Good, and good. I just wanted to, you know, do my my obligatory uh, animated series <laughs> shout out to uh, yeah anything that shows up on the show. Um, when Saru is going through and asking for decorated captains, which apparently is five, um, <laughs> that was a little odd. Like it would have been nice to have seen names that we didn't recognize, or like a scroll maybe, and it just ended with the ones. Yeah, that, uh, I don't know. That was that felt a little little cheated on that one, but. Uh, we know we had Jonathan Archer, Matt Decker, uh, Philippa Georgiou, and of course, Christopher Pike. But the first name, and it's in alphabetical order, was Robert April. And Robert April was the first captain of the Enterprise who we first saw on the very last episode of the animated series, The Counterclock Incident. Yes. Yeah. I thought that was really cool to make yeah. that uh, TAS reference canon <laughs> word that i hate to use but yes uh that that was really cool i agree with you that list was entirely too short i hate that it was only names that we all know yeah i would have really mm-hmm. have liked to have seen just other random names because like then you can... erica hernandez or somebody like yeah yeah they might have recognized but weren't like you know, fully engaged with, I don't know. Right. There's a hundred years of Starfleet. Well, yeah. Starfleet history there, at least that you could fill in and a little less than a hundred years of Federation history that you could fill in. So they should have done that. Um, Captain like, Adventure. Oh. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, I like that they picked the names that they did, but there should have been yes. more. Uh, James Kerwin uh, posted on his Facebook page. He had a, a picture of that film clip or that that screen grab with those names, and he said, "What? What about even just having Robow in there?" Mm-hmm. Which I would have loved. I, yeah. I thought, hey, I, I'm the one who said after uh, Star Trek 09 came out, I wanted to see uh, the further preceding adventures of Captain Robau before he got stabbed with a uh, pointy Romulan thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that would have been great. Um, and, you know, it, it, it was TOS that, or sorry, the, the pitch for the original series that had Robert April was the original name for Christopher Pike. So it's, it's animated mm-hmm. series, but it was, there's a kind of a history going back. And then if you look in the encyclopedia, there's sort of a Photoshopped image of Gene Roddenberry as Christopher, right. or as Robert April, which is kind of odd. I don't know. Right. Because <laughs> right. it, it, like in any version, because the counterclock incident basically is like proto rascals because the entire, everybody deages and, and, uh, Robert and his wife, uh, Sarah, were basically going to be uh, go out of um, 
commissioned. They were they were being decommissioned. They're not a ship. They're, yeah. They were being retired basically by right. a, a like an age limit. Um, so they started out as older people, and then everybody sort of de-aged as this thing happened on the episode. So. Yeah, yeah, and, and they were it. insane because they de-age yeah. and they're like, no, we'll be old again. And I'm like, no, you're yeah. crazy. Just stay <laughs> young. You, you're good looking. You're healthy. Just come on. Yeah. You have so that nice this, flower. In Discovery, yeah. we could have had a, you know, we could have a Commodore April show up. It would be kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so that was my, my two cents of sort of like, I, I liked the list, but it was also problematic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just it should have been way, way longer. And they should have introduced names that, you know, even do what they did always on Next Gen and every other show. Just put in a bunch of crew member names. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't know. I I vote for uh, Captains Ray and Champion. I think that would have been (laughs) fine names to add to that list. So random people from the West Wing, you know, that show. Yeah, why not? Just put them in there. Just put them in there. Aaron, thank you so much. And, and of you. course, of course, we have to mention, Aaron, you, you have your Star Trek TAS bona fides. You are the host of Saturday Morning Trek. Oh, wait, is that a Saturday Morning Trek shirt you're wearing yeah, that right not now? not on purpose. Honestly. I believe it is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which you can pick up on Trek FM, Trek.FM. Thank you for that, because I knew that we wanted to talk about that tonight. I'm glad you cool. chimed in. Thank you. All right. Cheers, man. Take care. Take care. Can I throw out one other thing before we uh, move on to our next caller, John? Yeah, sure. All right. There was, um, I got a message from um, this Eugene person that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, I still, I still, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't yeah. know. Mm-hmm. When we were talking about the, uh, uh, we were talking about the F-bomb though, dropped yeah. by Tilly. And I was saying, I kind of wish they hadn't done that. Um, actually, this wasn't, well, whatever. The question comes up, there's a lot that's going on here that wouldn't necessarily happen on regular Star Trek. I mean, it's more violent. It's more stabby. Yeah. Um, And I think where I'm getting caught on things like the F word, which I don't mind normally, and we're both fans of Westworld. Mm -hmm. And that is like one of the most violent shows that I've ever enjoyed. That and Game of Thrones are both very violent. Sure, sure. This This is a very violent show as well. And I think... First of all, I think we're sort of, as American television viewers at least, we're sort of desensitized to violence a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but having brought that up, I kind of wish it wasn't so stabby as well. I wish that stuff was happening off screen a bit. And I think where I'm coming to is a lot of people have said that what they like about Discovery is how accessible it feels to them how they feel like these are people they could hang out with. It's kind of like what you were saying a minute ago. Like you get too far in the future. You don't know that you can necessarily understand them or yeah. be part of them. Yeah. Um, I like the aspirational part of Star Trek. I would rather, instead of having characters that are like me, I would rather see characters that I want to be like. Yeah. And so, you know, the fact that they're throwing around the F word at work. Well, I do that too. Well, I work for myself now, so I do it all the time. <laughs> but when I used to work in an office, I would still do it. And, you know, I kind of I kind of wish that we were dealing with the, that we were kind of dealing with something that was more aspirational. Now, that said, we would be remiss if we didn't take a moment to point out the relationship between Stamets and the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, that is probably the most aspirational thing that we have seen so far on Discovery. The fact that these two guys are living together, that they are in obviously a romantic, caring, supportive relationship. And you know who cares? Nobody. Because they're both out there doing their jobs and that's it. I was reminded of, like, I guess it was the week before last, or maybe it was last week, when they're sort of bickering at each other in front of Captain Lorca. 
And Lorca says, gentlemen, are we going to be able to do this? That's it. There's no, oh, these two, you know, or anything like that. There's no, there's no reference to the fact that they are together. They're just together. And when they get up in the morning, they go up and they do their jobs. And when they come home at night, they go to the same bed. And I love the fact that not a huge deal was made about that. That is probably, honestly, the most aspirational thing that we've seen on this show so far. The yeah. fact that this thing that for some reason we're still debating in 2017 is like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. It's the kind of, it's the kind of thing. I mean, that and, that and the prevalence of women in all of the crews that we've seen so far and the diversity that we've seen so far. These things are all, these are the most aspirational things, I guess, we've seen. Let and me go back to the really great to see, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, let, let me go back to the the first topic that that led into this conversation uh, about how this version of Star Trek is stabbier, um, uh, bloodier. <laughs> yes, it, there are all those things, and and yeah, I generally speaking, I don't have a problem with that. I want the show to be accessible to a huge audience. But I also want people to be surprised by it. And that's the thing that I like about this version of Star Trek is that you're not just handing me everything that I have come to expect from Star Trek. You know, uh, when Next Gen started and you and I talked about Encounter at Farpoint, where it really is, here's the ship and here's the captain and here's the doctor and here's it. You know, and it really is just just setting the stage for every little thing. Compare that to the cage where you start in the middle which was wonderful. I really loved that. You know, I don't want Star Trek to be spoon fed to me. I want to be challenged by it. I want it to be a little weird. Um, I I want to guess where it's going. Now that said, just from a production angle, could I do with a little less gore because, well, maybe that's going to turn people off that, that they just feel like they can't watch it. Yeah. You know, I want people to watch it. I want people to enjoy it. And I want to be able to have conversations like this about the ideas behind the show. So I'm a right. little torn on that. Um, and to me, again, going back to the thing about the F bomb, it really just has to do with context. It's not that I'm offended by, cursing it's not that i'm offended by characters in star trek cursing it just has to do with the right use of that in the right context and do i buy it or not and this was a moment where i didn't buy it so that yeah i will tell you my only concern and i know star trek is not a children's show but i do also know that star trek has had a way of turning kids on to new ideas Mm -hmm. and that's not going to happen in this app. I mean, I mean, unless, unless your parents, unless your parents just don't care what you watch, which is fine. I mean, that's, you know, so then maybe some kids will be turned on in some ways by this, but I mean this, I mean, you're, you're kind of eliminating that turning a kid on to science idea because then that kid's parents also have to be okay with people's necks being cracked with people being stabbed on screen and with, you know, uh, characters throwing on the S word and the F word. Yeah. Yeah, um, which, you know, I, I knew what those words were long before I was this age. So maybe. Yeah, but, right. Yeah. Well, and, and just to, to put a, a last cap on the thing that you said about Stamets and Dr. Culber. Yes, yes, yes. A thousand times. Yes. Go back and yeah. listen to uh, not you, but the other people listening. <laughs> Go back and listen to our show where we talked about Star Trek Beyond and about the uh, the controversy around Sulu being in quite probably because we don't explore it, but he's in a same sex relationship and and they have a daughter and it's just a thing. 
and it, they don't make a big deal out of it. It's just a thing. And Kirk goes, oh, look, there goes Sulu with his family. Isn't that nice? And that's it. Yeah. We know everything else that Sulu is. He's a navigator. He's a swordsman. He is an awesome guy with a shirt off. Um, he is all these things. And now we learn one more trait about him and about his family. And that's what I like about uh, it's still early in the run of discovery here, but we learn things about Stamets. Stamets is talented. He's smart. He, he will talk back when he needs to talk back. Um, he's maybe he, a little bristly, <laughs> but now it's just yeah. one more thing we've learned about this character. And it's not, Hey, look, everybody, this is the gay character. We're going to make a thing out of it. It's just who he is. And that's great. Yeah. Um, so yes, glad we got there. And there's something weird going on in the mirror. We've got like two minutes left. Yeah. Oh, we got to go to Sam. Sam. Yeah, we have Sam. Sam, are you there for us? We hope you are. Sam might be muted. Sam's question was probably going to be, um, how could I join you guys again live next week? Oh, I think that was his question. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, the thing that you should do is go to our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash mission log pod. And when you go there, we're going to post a pretty much a placeholder for the video that you can click back on. That is the live video stream, but you'll see it a few days ahead of time. We'll post the Zoom link there. We'll post the phone number there, and we would love to hear from you. But here's another cool thing you can do. In the meantime, drop us your questions as a video. Email them to missionlog uh, log at roddenberry.com or send them as private messages on Facebook, and then we can play your video as part of the show and respond to you there. So numerous ways for you to reach out to us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd love it if you did. Hey, by the way, don't forget, there is another live show coming up in just a moment. Actually, in about five minutes or so, they'll probably start. It is priority one. They are another member of the Roddenberry Podcast Network. They talk over all sorts of uh, Star Trek news. They do a whole kinds of Star Trek discussion. And uh, we'd love it if you check them out, too. So they're where place where they where you go. Ah, excuse me. The place where you go uh, to take part in their show live is Facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast. Facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast. Uh, in the meantime, I do want to let you know that Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Uh, technical production on Mission Log Live by Infinity Network's producer Brandon Bradley, who just does a fine job. And we thank you very much, sir. Be sure to visit uh, podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log and Mission Log Live, but also Women at Warp and the aforementioned Priority One. And we would again like to thank Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection for sponsoring this show. Don't forget, Discovery Starships could be yours. It is eaglemoss.com slash Discovery Starships. Ken, when we do this, it feels like the hour just flies by. So, Is, that, um, is this an hour-long show? I thought I, we were like 15 minutes and out. <laughs> I know, right? But look, a um, uh, big, big thank you to the audience for chiming in on Facebook. I love your comments, and I, I love it when you call in and share your thoughts. I cannot wait to see you all again next Tuesday night at 7 Central, 10 Eastern. 7 Pacific, 10 Eastern. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Take care. Take care, everybody. 